Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Great. About 12 of you are having a good day. Say, how are you doing today? Awesome. Turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to church. And then turn to the one that you forgot on the other side of you and say, welcome to church to you too. Like Pastor James mentioned, my name is Ricky. My wife, Haley, and I, we lead our high school age ministry here, 8th through 12th grade. Uh, we love it. We are thankful that you trust us with your students and that they trust us with your students. Uh, we absolutely love it. Most of them come to second service because they're high school students and they like to sleep in. So a lot of them will be here next service, but we love to pastor them and to lead them. Before I jump into the message, I do want to pray real quick. I love to do that just kind of to ease my nerves and to welcome the spirit in. So let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for today, the opportunity to speak to your church. Uh, I speak against any fear that's in my body right now, and I pray that you would just come over me, that your spirit move in this room. God, I pray for life change. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of y'all, by a show of hands, like to go on vacation? That should be about 99% of the room. Hopefully, everybody enjoys vacation. Uh, my wife and I just got back from a vacation a few weeks ago. Uh, however, this vacation, we brought her family and we brought my family. So it went from a vacation to a family trip. Uh, and we had a great time, though. There was about 18 to 20 of us on this cruise ship. Um, it was amazing. However, we made a rookie parenting mistake. We got Ellison's one-year checkup the day before we left to go on the cruise. So she got three shots, and then the next day, we decided we'd drive eight hours straight with her in the back in a car seat. And then the next day on Sunday and Monday, Hurricane Irma was in Florida. We were in Texas and the wake was all the way to Texas. So she was seasick. And so the first couple of days were a little rough. Uh, we learned that we will not take her back until she is 16 and she pays for her own trip. Um, but we had a great time with her. We made a lot of memories with our family. But it was like the last day before we were about to get off the boat. And I was ready to come home. I was ready to see y'all. I was ready to play Xbox, watch some football, you know, ready to relax uh, just by myself and not with 2,800 people on a cruise ship. And I told my wife and she corrected me and said, enjoy your vacation. You don't get, you know, like you get one of these a year, enjoy it. I said, I'm enjoying it. I'm just ready to be home. And we got news that night that on this little like brochure, this flyer they put in your room that our floor was going to be one of the last floors to get off this boat. I was not happy with that um, information because, like I said, I was ready to get home. We were going to have to wait almost to 11 o'clock to get off a boat. I wanted to get off with the people who got off first at 8.15. And so we were on floor two. I literally could touch the floor, floor three, where you get off of the boat the next day. However, Carnival has this weird policy where they depart. They let you off the ship from floor 12 and then 11 and then 10, 9, all the way down to floor zero. So we're going to be one of the last ones off the ship. And I told Haley... And I told Ellison, I'm not sure if she understood what I was saying, but I said, we are getting off the ship at 8.15 in the morning. And I said, if I have to pinch Ellison all the way through the line to where she's crying, the top of her lungs, I'm getting off this ship. And I promise you, I meant every word that I just said. And so... We made plans with my family, um, with my mom and my stepdad and my little brother, and then also with my other brother and his wife that we were going to meet on floor five. So this is where you could go if you wanted to get off early, but it wasn't your turn. And they would have somebody there who would let you go just little by little, a couple of families at a time. And so we we're going to meet my family there that morning. And I woke up really early, had a flashlight on my phone, kind of going through the room, not wanting to wake Haley or Ellison up. I wanted to make sure we weren't missing anything, weren't forgetting anything, make sure we had all of our belongings before we got off the boat. Um, about eight o'clock, we walked out of our room. We went to floor five, had breakfast um, real quickly. And I seen my parents at the back of this room. And there was probably a couple hundred people in this room had already been sitting there who were ready to get off the boat as well. Um, 
Now, when I seen my parents in between us, there was this carnival employee who had a red shirt on, and he was whispering to a couple of families, hey, you can go ahead and go, hey, you've been here a while, go ahead. And so he was allowing these people to leave who had been sitting there. And I just grabbed Haley's hand and started walking with these people. And so we got right in line with these people. Was it the right thing to do? I don't know, but it was the correct thing to do. And so... (laughs) We literally got in line with these people. We walked down two flights of stairs, back down to floor three. There was no line. The guy who was in charge of the IDs, he scanned our IDs to get off the boat. And we were off the boat in less than 15 minutes. We had, I had a stroller in this hand. I had a duffel bag in this hand that I felt like had a body in it. It was all of Haley's clothes. And then on the back of me, I had all of our dirty clothes and all of my shoes. Haley had Ellison attached to her chest with this little device to carry babies. And she had a bag in one hand, had a backpack on her back and a bag in the other hand. We were loaded down. We're new parents. We packed a little too much. Most of it was Haley's, but we packed a little much. But we got down all these floors in 15 minutes. We got to customs. We waited there maybe half an hour. It was inside, um, but it wasn't all the way air conditioned. So it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too hot. Uh, We waited there about half an hour. We walked out of customs. We were outside. I seen a parking lot we were in about a block away. And I was like, man, we are almost to the car. We crossed the street. Everything was going so well. There was even a golf cart waiting for us to take us to the parking lot. And so I was in such a good mood. I tipped the guy a few bucks. Like I was just ready to be home. And we got to the parking lot and I'm probably 10 to 15 feet away from the car. And so this is the back of the car, the keyboard here. And I felt the Holy Spirit. He whispered, he said, hey, you're forgetting something. And immediately, I knew what it was immediately. And I promise you, I didn't pray it out loud, but in my heart, I closed my eyes right there away from the car. I said, God, you are the God of the universe. You spoke the earth into existence. Everything bows to you. Make this thing appear. And I opened my eyes and right there, it was not there still. Um, So... (laughs) I took a deep breath and I leaned on the back of the car and I said, Haley, I said, babe, do you have the car key? (laughs) And I almost cried. And she looked over to me and she said, Ricky, like not angry, not upset, just disappointed. You know, that's like, that's the worst. She was disappointed. Um, and I really didn't know what to say. And before I continue on with the story, my wife is not always graceful, but she is always full of grace. There's a difference. I'm glad that she's always full of grace. I think that maybe that she was reminded of the last time we went on a cruise a few years ago and my wife was in charge of the cash and the passports. Um, so we are two hours away. We are in, I want to say it was McGee, Arkansas, something like that. And we stopped at this store to get some sandals. We were with some other friends in a minivan that we had borrowed. We got to the store and Haley realized that she did not have the passports nor the cash. So we couldn't do anything, couldn't go anywhere. So we were in a minivan, had to drive back two hours just to get our passports and stuff and then drive back two hours to get to where we were. We don't have a lot of luck going on cruises, it seems. But that morning we had a slight argument. I said, babe, let me be in charge of the passports. Let me be in charge of the cash. And she said, no, just trust me. Just trust me. And when your wife says to trust her, like you can't really say a whole lot more. And I said, and so just one more time, I said, babe, please, please let me have the passports. Let me take care of them. And she said, I got this. I got them. Don't worry about it. Little did I know when she said that, she was implying that we'd have to go back two hours to get them and then go back to where we were. 
We do not have the best of luck on cruises, but when both of those moments happen, the passport and leaving the key in the safe on the ship, um, I was not ready for what was about to happen. And maybe that has happened to you in your life where you've had something that just comes and it takes you out of the game. It sideswipes you and you weren't ready for what was about to happen. Today, I want to I want to um, jump around in this story with a man named Moses. He's in the Old Testament. Hopefully you've heard of him. If not, it's okay. We're going to hop around in his story today. And my goal is to show you how your story and my story relates to Moses' story and how if we did what he did, we can reach our potential in life. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say potential. Potential. So the first thing ascribed to Moses in the Bible, like the first quality ascribed to Moses is that he was fine, that he was attractive, which is awesome to have ascribed to you as a first thing in the Bible. He was attractive, but he was also abandoned as a baby. He was set in this basket and set down the river and he grew up as a sinner. He killed somebody. Hopefully that disqualifies most of the room this week. Uh, He killed somebody. And then he, uh, like majority of us, he was scared to death. Of life and the fact that he might be called to something that was greater than him, but even he, he didn't realize that he had this potential that was on the inside of him that God had given him and that he had to walk in it to chase after his purpose. I want to begin the message with a thought that you and I will never reach our full potential if we're not surrounded by the right people. And when I say right people, I'm not talking about good people and bad people because you could be surrounded your whole life by good people who never make an impact on you, who never make an impact in your life. It's not just good people and bad people. There were three positions of people that Moses had in his life in front of him, behind him, and beside him. And these three positions of people help him to unlock his potential and to walk in his purpose that God had for him. Um, If you're taking notes right there and the notes as you walk through the door, you were handed those. The first blank there, the first type of people that you need in your life are people that you challenge. People that you challenge. So these people might be positioned behind you in life and you're leading them. This might be um, a child. It might be a coworker. It might be um, and could be like a person in your family. These people are behind you in life. So Moses, he challenged the Israelites on a daily basis, every single day. So his purpose and goal was to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. But the thing was, a lot of them, actually none of them had been there before. They didn't know how to get there. So they were scared, they were nervous, and they complained a lot. So let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 5, the story here with Moses. He's trying to convince the Pharaoh to let his people go. In verse 4, it says, But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? You are stopping them from working. The same day, the Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. So all of a sudden they had extra work, but the same expectations. Imagine if you were to go to work on a Wednesday and you got this report from your boss, him or her, and they said, hey, this report's going to require a lot of effort, some overtime, and it's due on Friday. You're like, okay, I can deal with that. And you walk in on Thursday, they give you another report. Say, hey, this is also due on Friday. There's no time to do it. How many of you are going to be a little upset, going to complain a little bit? You might devise a plan to make your boss disappear for a couple of days. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Sorry, James. Um, or what about, what about the DMV? Oh, that's where all dreams go to die and all joy is stolen from everybody that has a soul. Um, you've prepped. You've prayed 
you got all this paperwork together. You have 11 things in your hand and you get in the car and you go to the DMV. And before you walk in, you pray and Lord, I'm not sure what the sweet lady behind the counter is going to say to me, but give me the grace to whatever it is. I'm going to say the right thing. And so you walk in, you take a number, you sit down, you wait your turn like a good boy or a good girl. And they call you to the counter. They call us to the counter and we have 11 things in our hand and we're looking at them and we're praying we have the right thing. And then we get there and they say, hey, you are missing a piece of paper. You don't have the thing to renew your tags or to do whatever it is. That is a perfect opportunity in life to complain all you want. You can complain all the way back home and then go all the way back and give them what they need. The Israelites, they complained a lot. And every time that they complained to Moses, he reminded them it's not where we've been, but it is where we are going that is important. It's not what's in the past, it's what's in the future. He was challenging them out of love. That was his purpose as a leader and as a friend. Challenging and influencing someone out of love for them might be the most important thing that you do your entire life, but it has to be out of love. Maybe you have some friends or coworkers. Some people in your family and they dwell on the past a lot and they always worry about what's already happened. What if it was your role in their life to help them not think about the past so much, but to dream instead and to remember the purpose that God placed inside of them, rather to focus on what's already happened. There's a story in Exodus chapter 14. Um, this is a very popular story. In the story, the Israelites, they are leaving Egypt. They're running from the Egyptians to the promised land, but they have no idea where they're going, how to get there. And they come to this body of water. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So Moses, he led these people through dry ground. The people that are behind you in life that you're leading, that are positioned behind you, why is dry ground important to them? Well, you have to remember, they just got to this body of water that had been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years since the beginning of time. But all of a sudden, when the water was parted, the dry, I'm sorry, the ground was dry. I think that that's the case because if they would have walked through on muddy ground, they wouldn't have been able to look down to see their footprints, to see their tracks and remember their history, remember their past. And they would have been stuck looking back over and over and over again. And in this scenario, God's not telling them to forget their past. He's just saying, if you stay there, you're never going to move forward. They walk through on dry ground. Even as a pastor, there's things in my life that I'm not proud of. There's things that I've done. And the enemy would love for me to get stuck there and keep looking back behind me. But when I look backwards, it's hard for me to move forward. And so instead, I use those things as motivation to lead the students and to pastor the leaders like I'm supposed to. Maybe that is your role in your friend's life is to motivate them even when they don't realize that they need it. When is the last time that you sat down with a friend or a family member and you talked about their dreams? When is the last time they even had a dream? Have that conversation with them. Challenge them out of love. I know that motivating and influencing people in our lives is not real common in today's society, especially out of love. But when you do that, you help to unlock people's full potential. And that's what our role is as a friend. That's how we challenge people that are around us. So how do you know if you're doing this or not? You can ask yourself at the end of every day, did I challenge a friend to be better at something in a life-giving way? Did I challenge them in a life-giving way today? Out of love, did I challenge a friend to step out of their comfort zone and towards their purpose? 
Without me, would they have done that thing, yes or no? And lastly, did I influence someone towards the person of Jesus today with my actions or with my speech? You saying yes to these things is what it's going to take to change your friend's life, not just to be a good person, but to make an impact on them every single day. I'm thankful that you and I, that we don't have the purpose right now to lead millions of people like Moses did, but we do have the purpose to lead the people that are around us in our everyday lives. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not great at anything. I'm not an expert. That's okay. All you have to be is 1% better in an area to lead somebody, one step in front of them to lead them. We all need somebody in our life on a daily basis that we're challenging. Amen? So point number two, we need somebody that uh, challenges us, so someone that challenges you. Someone that is positioned in front of you in life. Maybe it's a boss or a mentor, a life group coach, a family member, a co-worker. Moses, he had his... His father-in-law, Jethro. Now, I know not all in-laws are created equal, and there are some crazy ones out there. However, my in-laws are awesome. A few of them are here today, and so I wouldn't say anything bad, even if you paid me to, but I love my in-laws. And in this case, Jethro, he was right. He was one of the good in-laws. And in Exodus chapter 18, there's some context of a story here. So Moses, he is leading all these people and there's no one helping him. So they would bring their arguments. They would bring anything that was against the law. They would be, bring anything that they needed someone to lead or to judge over everybody. Millions of people would bring these to Moses and everybody else would just sit and watch all day long. They would just sit and watch Moses and they would sit and watch and sit and watch. And, father, <laughs> and then finally, his father-in-law, he stepped in. And said, Moses, I see what you're doing. It's not a bad thing, but you're going to wear yourself out. It is not going to last if you keep doing that. And he challenged him to find some men that had leadership qualities, that were trustworthy, that could lead people and give a workload to them, to give some of the potential of a workload to them. That way they could walk in their purpose as well. So Moses, what he was doing wasn't necessarily bad. It just wasn't going to last. He was leading people. And that was his role. That, that was very important to his role with God, but that wasn't his God-given potential. His potential was not only to lead people, but it was to lead leaders. But if he would have been by himself all alone, he wouldn't have been challenged. And so he wouldn't have grew in his purpose. He wouldn't have grew in what God wanted him to do, not just lead people, but to lead leaders. Like Moses, you can be by yourself doing the right thing, and never reach your full potential if you don't have the right people around you to challenge you. Did anybody ever used to watch American Idol? Kind of a show of hands, watch American Idol. I think like 80% of the people on the show were staged. And the other 80%, 100% of them were bad. And I used to remember just laughing at American Idol, watching these people sing. I used to love watching the bad ones. But I thought to myself after a while, do they not have any friends to tell them that they can't sing? Like, hey, bro, your voice... Um, it's just not going to work. Don't quit your job. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your gas money. Don't go to American Idol. You're wasting your time. Did they not just have one friend to tell them the truth in their life? In Proverbs 27, 6, it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. You need a friend in your life, a friend or two that you give permission and authority to challenge you 
every single day. And yes, it might be uncomfortable. Those conversations might be a little uncomfortable, but that's where we grow the most. In August, in real life, we were in this room and we were talking about the concept of guardrails and how when you're driving, a guardrail keeps you from going into the ultimate danger. Yes, when you hit a guardrail, your insurance is going to go up. It's going to hurt your car. It's going to hurt your feelings. But it's a lot better than going over the guardrail into oncoming traffic or over the cliff or into the river. So if I, had a, if I had a guardrail on the stage and I walked into it, yes, it's going to hurt my shin. Nobody likes to get hit in the shin by anything, but it's a lot better than hopping off the stage, head over heels and falling. That guardrail is in place to protect us from the greater danger. That guardrail in your life could be your friend. They can walk with you. They are a living, moving, breathing guardrail who help you to stay on track in your life. Give someone permission and authority in your life to challenge you every single day. How do you know if you're reaching your full potential? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, as you wake up, you can ask yourself, am I going to open up my life today to a coworker, to a mentor, to a family member, to allow myself to be challenged? Or am I going to sit back keep my life to myself and struggle, try to do it all by myself. As you go to sleep, you can ask yourself by hopping out of my comfort zone, by doing something that I really didn't want to do today, did I grow? Did I grow in my purpose by getting out of my comfort zone? And what I remind the students in real life all the time, one of the best ways to grow, doesn't matter if you're eight or if you're 88, is to ask questions. It could be for your parent, your mentor, your life group coach, again, a family member, a coworker, your boss, ask questions. That's one of the best ways to grow. You reaching your potential is a process. You're not just going to arrive at your potential and ta-da, I'm here. You reaching it is a process, but when you grow in that process, your potential becomes attainable. When you grow in that process, your potential becomes attainable. You need a person or two or three or maybe 12, depending on how you're living your life, to challenge you to challenge you every day. And it can't be just at church on a Sunday. It can't be from a stage. It needs to be somebody that is living with you, living life with you every single day. So we need people in front of us in life. We need people behind us in life that we're challenging. And we need somebody right beside us in life. Point number three, we need people there through every challenge. Moses, he had two guys with him. One's name was Aaron and the other man's name was Her. Uh, his name was Her. That's why I love the Bible. You could be reading and there's a curveball and it keeps it interesting. His name was Her. Um, just by a quick show of hands, how many of you have been through some crazy things in life? Maybe some things you wish you hadn't have seen. You've been through some pain. I know a lot of the room has. It's been a rough week for me. Um, I want to land the next few moments on this thought that what has no support will fall. What has no support will fall. So just over a year ago, uh, Haley and I were having our first baby. Uh, actually, Haley was having the baby. I was there to support her in the moment. Um, but we're having our first baby, Ellison, man. And from the get-go, I, no, I had no idea what to do with my hands. Like, I, I didn't know how to change a diaper, didn't know how to hold her neck, her head, nothing. I'd never held a baby before um, besides my little brother like 15 years ago. And so I was extremely nervous. But as I held her, I just began to fall in love. It didn't matter if she was crying or not. I was falling in love with her. A lot of y'all told me that was going to happen. I wasn't really sure growing up. I didn't like kids. Um, now I really still don't like kids, just my own and a few others, but I am maturing in that process. But I love, 
my baby girl. And you know, if you've ever had a kid in a hospital, um, you know, like every two hours on the dot, they come in to make sure mom's doing okay, to make sure that baby's doing okay. Um, if you work at a hospital, by the way, can we change that to six hours, like to where we can have some rest? You keep telling us to get rest, but you keep walking in the room. I love you. Thank you for your service, but we need some time. But every now and then they would take Ellison out of the room for some, you know, for some checkups, you know, some tests. And there was this one time that she came back a little bit longer than normal. And I thought, well, maybe because she's a tomboli, like she's walking on the first day and then, you know, she got lost in the hospital. Or maybe they took her to the wrong, you know, to the... <laughs> the wrong hall, the wrong room. I've seen some Lifetime movies, you know, it, it happens. Um, but they brought her back and there was this new nurse, this new doctor we hadn't seen before. And she said, hey, we need to talk. Um, your daughter has an issue with her heart. And I just Google issue with heart, newborn. You know, it's like, I, I don't know what to do. I didn't know what was about to happen. was a little angry. You ever have those moments in life where you're, you throw up prayers and you feel like they're hitting the ceiling and coming right back down at your feet? This was one of those moments for me and my wife. And we had our family there. You know, we had a lot of support in this moment, but I wasn't sure what was about to happen. In Exodus 17, it says, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua, he fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hand, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, they put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. In this story, the Israelites literally would have lost the battle, if not the entire war, if Moses wouldn't have had his hands up. But as you see, he couldn't do it by himself. And that was not by accident. That was by design. God orchestrated it and planned it that way, that Moses was going to need somebody else right beside him. in one of the most important moments in his life to make sure that he wasn't going to fall, to make sure that he had support. In that hospital... I didn't know what to do. I was upset. And no matter what the news was going to be, if we were going to celebrate or if we were going to need a friend to cry on, I was going to need somebody. And then next morning when we woke up, it was our life group. They started showing up and they kept showing up even more than the nurses every two hours. And they kept bringing food. And in the coming weeks at our house, our life group kept showing up. They kept bringing food, thank the Lord. And they kept praying just as much and as hard as we were. And I know because my family and my life groups, that just over a month ago, we went for the one-year checkup that I mentioned. And we got news that Ellison is almost all the way healed. We don't have to go back for two years. And I know that there is power of prayer for the people that are in your life. We give God the glory for that. I'm sure in the sky you've seen the birds and they fly in formation. It could be a V or a check mark. Did you know that first bird, he is taking one for the team. He's taking all the wind in the face so his buddies behind him have an easier flight. And every now and then they'll flip to the back and the guy in the back will go to the front and they'll keep rotating to keep each other healthy. And they fly in a V to make sure there's always a point where they know where they're going so they don't get distracted and go off course. Maybe you've heard of the Clydesdale horses. 
how one horse can pull 8,000 pounds by himself. That is impressive. That's like 24,000 or 32,000 quarter pounders from Walmart. That is, a, I mean, from McDonald's. That is a lot. That is a lot. But if you get two horses together, not only can they pull 16,000 pounds, they can pull 24,000 pounds. Just with two horses, the weight of three, two can pull. And research, it even shows that if they train together and if they eat together and they live life together, they can pull over four times the weight of one horse. To me, this is a perfect example of a life group in our lives. This is what a life group looks like. We were never meant to live life alone. And the thing is, you can have community your whole life. You can have a great family. You can have a wonderful life group. That would make me happy for you, but you could do all of that and you could still leave the key behind. Getting off that boat, man, I felt like I had it all together. We have six bags of luggage, a stroller and a baby attached to the mom. And we get off the boat to our car in just over an hour we beat our whole family and I felt like I was the bomb, like I had it all together. And then I got to the car and realized I didn't have the key. And so I did what any 28 year old male would do. Um, I called my mother immediately and she didn't answer. She was in customs because we left her. Um, and so I called the next person that popped in my head and that was my brother, Seth. And he answered the phone on the first ring. And he said, man, where are you? We're looking all over for you. I said, no, where are you? He said, no, where are you? And I said, Seth, I need to know where you are. And I explained what happened. And he's like, oh my, like you are off the boat. You don't have a car key? I said, yes. We're at a car. We don't have the key. I said, I need you to find Zindi. He said, who is Cindy? I said, no, her name is Zindi. It's Cindy with a Z. I need you to find Zindi. He said, who is that? I said, that's the lady who makes the towel animals at night, you know, the elephant and the snake with glasses. I said, I need you to find her. She can let you into the room to get the key. He says, I'll be there in about an hour and a half. And so we waited outside on the blacktop with a little bit of snacks left and formula and water and my my parents showed up. We hopped in their car for a little bit just to wait. And I just wonder if I would have had, had somebody right there next to me who didn't have their arms full, would I have left the key? I was so ready to get off that boat that I left the most important thing behind. And I think a lot of times we go through life like that with a great plan, going 100 miles an hour in a job or with a career or with our families from ballpark to ballpark or gym to gym, or maybe even in our marriages, trying to make the right decisions at the right time. And to the people around us, to the world, it looks like we've perfected the processes of life, but in all reality, it's a facade. And we left the key behind. We left Jesus behind. I wonder how many times do we leave Jesus behind? If you're a lady, did you leave him at woman conference already? Do you leave him at church every Sunday and pick him back up when you come in? Or is he a person? Is he a savior? Is he a best friend that you walk with every day that is Lord of your life? If you don't mind, would you bow your heads all the way across the room? Moses was there to remind the people of God's promises. And that's what helped them to step into the Red Sea to step into God's plan for your life. Your dream has to be bigger than your past. It has to be bigger than your memory. 
And you need people around you to help remember that dream sometimes, to remember your potential. I hope that I've emphasized the importance of having people all around you in life, in front of you and behind you and beside you. But none of that matters if Jesus is not at the center of it. None of that matters without Jesus. Y'all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up from the front of the room to the back. We've all done stuff that we shouldn't have. And the thing is, Jesus knew that was gonna happen and he loved us anyway. Scripture says that he loved us before we knew what love even was. So much in fact that he exchanged his life, his perfect life for our broken ones because he wants our hearts so bad. He is madly in love with every person that can hear my voice right now. He wants you. He left heaven and exchanged everything for you for your soul. I wanna give you the opportunity that's not just going to change your life, but it will change your eternity. I wanna give you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And maybe you have at one moment in the past, you said, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my best friend. I want you to be my savior. But for whatever reason, maybe you were going 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction and you left him behind. Or maybe you never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe it was your upbringing, maybe circumstances. But you know today that Jesus, that he loves you and that he wants you and you want him to be your best friend. You want him to be the center of your life. You want him to be your Lord and Savior. If that's you, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you or ask you to do anything that would make you uncomfortable, just right there in your seat. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, raise your hand. And as soon as I see it, you can put it right back down. I want to pray for you. I see you, ma'am. I see you. Just make eye contact with me and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for this morning. See you, bro. In the back, I see you. If you're a believer in the house, this is the most important moment. You're praying for the people in your row. You have no idea what they're going through, what they've been through. You're praying for them. Anybody else, the Holy Spirit, he's just, he's speaking to you. You want to give your life to Jesus today. Just a show of hands so I could pray for you. I see you in the back, sir. I see you, sir. Come on, y'all, don't fight it. This is the opportunity of eternity. You get to spend forever with your father. If you raised your hand, you could say a prayer just like this right in your seat. Lord, I thank you so much that you loved me before I even knew who you were, knowing I was going to mess up, knowing I was going to do things that dishonored you, knowing I was going to run away from you, Lord, but you saved me. You died for me a horrible death. You were hung on a cross. You were buried and after the third day you rose again and that same power that you had is in me because I declare in my heart that you are Lord and Savior. Lord, lead me by your spirit and through your word in a group of believers in a life group. Help me to live for you every day. God, I pray for boldness in this room. There are people that have influence in this room. There are families that have influence in this room. And there are people around them that need you so much. Would you give them the boldness to step out and just to speak of your name? God, at the sound of your name, darkness trembles. Fear leaves. Depression, anxiety leaves. At the sound of your name, Jesus, I declare your name over every life, over every circumstance in this room this morning. 
We give you the glory for what has happened here and what's going to happen in next service. We love you so much, Jesus. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're excited for what God has done this morning, the people that raised their hands, give them a round of applause.